My name is Yuri Lowenthal. My name is Travis Santel. And you are awaited. You are awaited as a Mad Max Fury Road podcast where we watch four minutes at a time of Mad Max Fury Road and we talk about it till our eyes bleed and our brains melt and we hug each other with delicious <laughs> cupcake goodness. <laughs> we just squeeze the guzzoline out of every pore. Yeah, don't, don't start off with ah, I started word. it. I did it to you. Um, we are not watching four minutes of Mad Max Fury Road today, though. We have a special guest episode, one Yuri and I have been very excited about for a long time. Um, we'd like to introduce to you, listeners, Ian Tavener. Ian from Brisbane, how are you? Ah, uh, well, thank you. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Uh, good afternoon. Well, good, good morning. Good morning. Good, good morning good to evening, you. Internet. Yeah. Right. Did, we, did I pronounce your last Sorry. name right, Ian? Is it right? Sorry. Ian. It's just coming up on white now, actually. Oh. The door is just literally breaking. Super early. Wow. Did I pronounce your last name? It just doesn't fall on anybody. Oh, so. right. <laughs> it probably will. Did um, I say your last name right, Ian? Tavener. Yeah, pretty much Tavener. If you if you accent Tavner. the A's, all okay. Australian accents are nasal. That's oh. the best way to think about it. So all of our vowels are nasal sounds. Tavener. Tavener. This will be good for yeah. me because whenever I try to do an Australian accent uh, on this show, it just always ends up embarrassing. I always embarrass myself. Well, that's the thing to remember. I think the best way I, could, I thought about it was is if you take a Cockney accent, so you go, I like Gaffney, you know, all that sort of stuff, and just flatten it out a little bit, that's Australian. I think, I, I, in my memory, uh, you nailed one a bit of Australian accent. I remember one time you once. did it, I was like, nailed it. I, I think it. once I got it. But then but. after that, I was sort of spiritually depressed by your accent. Yeah. Is that doing a little bit of a faggot? Yeah. Right, exactly. Can we just launch into that? Because, listen, yeah, I sure. feel bad about that whole exchange. <laughs> <laughs> I don't... But in my defense, in in my version of American English, I could not come up with any possible other word that would sound... So I am happy that it's Australian <laughs> slang, because it's not something yeah. I could be expected to know, I feel like. Yeah, I just yeah. wish we hadn't spent five minutes talking about... Um, sexual politics in that particular episode. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I was just about to say maybe we should introduce Ian, but I think I think all the listeners will will know Ian from uh, from all the times that we've quoted him. As a matter of fact, here I'm gonna have to pull it up while uh, while while we talk to you. But um, another listener um, quoted you to us. This guy. Oh, this guy. Oh, oh, yeah, he's like, he's like, just like Ian said, or something <laughs> like that. I'm like, well, yeah. Yeah, Ian knows. Well, I guess in way of introduction, Ian. Um, Maybe your, your history of, uh, the history of your love of, of, of the franchise. Yeah, how'd you get into it? And, and, and why do you know the things that you know? Uh, <laughs> are my two questions to start us off here. Fair enough. All right. Well, the best way to describe my love of Mad Max and how I got into it, I have a distinct memory in 1981 when I was a wee toddler. Well, not a wee toddler. I was probably about 11 or 12. Uh, this is still when uh, drive-in theatres still existed. Oh, yeah. So these were the old ones that you actually drove into and you, you had the you had the handheld speakers. You right. actually looked on the inside of your window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. To watch the film, so I went and watched that, and I remember distinctly. Um, I think it was in a double bill. I think it may, the other film may have been Firestarter of all things. Wow! With uh, Drew Barrymore. Sure, mm-hmm. that's a good so double feature. I watched that, and I'm like, eh, ho hum, didn't like it very much. And the next film was Road Warrior. 
Oh. Yep. And so I'm sitting there with my dad in the car watching this thing going, what is this? This is amazing. I don't understand what this is. Um, being utterly, utterly terrified of Wes, the Mohawk guy. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Wes. Utterly scared to this day, which has left an indelible impression upon me. I cannot watch that final scene where the feral kid is out on the hood of the, of the rig reaching to get the bullets. And you can just hear the wind and the heartbeat and everything. And the next minute, whiz bursts up over yep. the hood and wah! Mm. That still gives me, that. I still freak out about that to this day. It's left that much of an impression for me. Oh, that's great. I, yeah, I, uh, I get it. That's classic George. That's a classic George Miller moment. Oh, it is, it is. And so I watched that. Didn't think much of it because I'm only 11 or 12. And so my thoughts at this point are like, Superman and Star Wars and all that sort of business, but I'm sort of thinking, this is a cool thing, whatever it is I just watched. Yeah. Um, didn't think much about it until I got a bit older. My brother, who's four years older than I am, actually got into custom cars. So he started building cars. And he even had a few entries at a few car shows and stuff, and I'm like, okay, cool. Well, he's a gearhead and all sort of stuff and very interested. But I always kept coming back to Mad Max. So, obviously, Thunderdome came out. We didn't think too much of it out here because it's like, oh, you know, that's a bit, that's a bit of a, that's a bit of Hollywood American wankerism, isn't that, it? That, that's exactly what that was. Right. We're sorry yeah. for it, honestly. Yeah, we, we would like to apologize on behalf of Hollywood since we're literally broadcasting from Hollywood right well, now. Yeah, we're in the middle of true, Hollywood. True, true, I do true. feel like that's, that is mm. a, a classic studio note uh, situation there, it feels like, where it's like, can you put more, um, uh, kids in, and then could you put an airplane in, mm. and then could mm. you put mm. some post-apocalyptic towers in? And he's like, well, yeah. whatever, my friend's dead, fuck it. Yeah. Yeah, very, very much so. I mean, that being said, though, I mean, um, we don't need another hero by Tina Turner was on the charts here for weeks and weeks. Oh, and here, too. Yeah, oh, it was big so. here. It's still in my soul, that song. I, I was uh, in Belize recently, mm. and uh, I sang that song um, in, just because I was feeling good that day. And when I feel mm. good, I sing Tina Turner. And uh, all the Germans and Austrians, everyone in the room knew the song. And it was like, oh, yeah. Were you, Tina. Was, were you doing karaoke? No, was no, no. It? I was you just, were just singing. It was a breakfast. <laughs> That's more, one of many reasons I love you. Yeah, they were super into it. Everyone like perked up. And it was like, oh, Tina Turner. There was Japanese there people too, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, My I remember accent. the Tina dress too. Yeah, very good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I found a comment on Facebook. Uh, from from listener uh, Rex Inutilis. Hello, Rex. Hello, Rex. Um, Hi, Rex. He said, uh, great podcast. But just before Ian Tavener tells you, Josh Hellman slit is definitely <laughs> Australian. <laughs> and slit definitely has an Aussie accent. Um, and he says, in a previous episode, it was conjectured it was American. Yeah, yes, that was that was, that was that was totally yeah, on he me. Is, he is, yeah. yeah. Um, Can I, wait, before yeah. I interrupt you and to yeah. say, it is so rare. I would say 90% of the mistakes on the podcast have come from me. Uh, and I think you're giving yourself a little too much credit. 95% of the mistakes <laughs> have come from me. It's so nice to hear a conjecture that is, is a meaningless conjecture that you just guessed on, and yet I still feel like, okay, cool. Like I feel like a human being now where we're, in a, we're a team, and as a team we sometimes make mistakes. So I feel like... I feel, I feel we're going to come away from today's episode a little smarter. Yes. Thanks to you, oh. Ian. Okay, so wait, rest of the comment here. No pressure. Yeah. Oh. Oh, the, the rest of the comment, um, he, yeah. he, goes, he goes on with accents. He says, on American accents, can you cover your opinions on, about uh, Furiosa's American accent in the next episode? It seems to be the elephant in the room. 
He says, I'm also adopting a no Google policy in terms of why Charlie has went with that. Yes. I love that we're, we've established this no Google policy. Do it, do it, Rex. Um, I would have thought even her native South African accent uh, would have been less out of place. Quite frankly, I can believe in a small Russian community in Wasteland, Australia, but a sole American accented woman does take me out of the movie somewhat. Lovely I, yeah. I wonder. I, I wonder if that was a studio. No, studio I, film. I, I, I have no problem with that, considering that he, the, the Rex is um, not commenting on the wise accents, right? Which is a mixture of Australian and American. Hmm. Oh, okay. Ah, I hadn't even thought about. So, that. I have such a bad ear, Ian. I don't. I didn't mm. register that she had an American accent until that comment came in, and I've watched the movie quite a bit. I just don't hear that oh, stuff. But very yeah, well. and like you, Ian, I, it, it didn't bother my ear at all. Interesting. Well, no, that's the thing. I mean, you, you you pick it up straight away. Um, I mean, for example, when she says "fang it," for example, yeah, she's not saying it with uh, with the inflection that obviously an Australian would have. So, sure. Well, that's why I don't. So I didn't you, misunderstand so I noticed that. straight away. It's like, oh, well, she's just using her, her American accent. I mean, and if you had a South African accent, how would you explain it? Yeah, that would be tricky. That to me would be like, you know, that that would really be jarring to me. Yeah, it's the desert and everything, but everyone's come to associate these movies with having this Australian tone with them. That's, so if you're suddenly yeah. stuck in a South African accent. True. It's that, that, that's that's great, actually, that we've been able to remove the burden of guilt from Travis getting it wrong and put it on Charlize Theron. Yes, Charlize, yep. you jerk. You're making me look dull on this podcast. Right. Yeah, sure, well, this Charlize. Charlize Theron, who's going to be in the next Fast and Furious movie. Sure, suffer. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I'm, sure, that. I'm sure she's doing just fine. I know, I feel like she's broken and uh, gutted by my comment. So I hope you were gonna, You were going to say something. Um, I was going to say um, that I wonder what the conversations were leading up to those accent decisions, because I think it's all very particular. Um, in this universe, and so there must have been a you have you're an, you're an American. Here's your back. You have an American accent. Here's your backstory. Here's why you have that. I'm sure she has the answers to those things, and we can but conjecture about them. But I'm so, I'm sure it's the same thing with the wives. Uh, I wonder what those conversations were like and why those decisions were made. And, and if there is an American enclave, like there's a Russian enclave, and right. that Furiosa comes from that stock. Do you remember if the woman, the women uh, in the Green Place? They have Australian accents, right? Yeah, well, yeah, the, uh, the lead one, um, uh, Valkyrie, mm -hmm. that's Megan Gale. She's from West She's from West Australia, Perth to be exact. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so she so. comes right from that. That's actually almost like a desert region. You go 10, 15 minutes outside of Perth, it's desert. Yeah, it's, it's the so. most, as far as I know, I visited Perth once uh, a couple of years ago. And mm. it um, it is known as the most remote place, the most remote city on the planet. Based on wow. it's on the coast. There's nothing in that direction uh, but mm. water, and then it's just sort of desert all around. It's a uh, it's a a minerals city. It's a resource city. Oh, it they've is. got yeah. They've got I, um, all sorts of uh, resources, which is where the money came from, as I understand it. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I'd argue that um, my brother actually lives in Darwin, which is on the north coast. Mm. It's probably more remote. Wow. Um, that's, that's significant for two reasons. One, it has no um, it has no tidal surf. So when you go out and look at the ocean on a day, it's flat, and you can see the sea literally to the horizon. Wow! I want to go there. Um, uh, it is it's spectacular. It has a uh, it's known for having a uh, an aeronautical museum that actually has an American B fifty two as its prime. Um, uh, exhibit mm -hmm. wow. donated to us to donate to us by your government. We'll do what we can. Um, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> On behalf of the U.S. government, you're welcome. Well, 
Yeah, uh, I'm sure I'll be able to use that when the apocalypse comes. Um, <laughs> but um, and it also is significant for being the only city in Australia for being struck by a cyclone. Oh, um, interesting. Uh, in 1977. So as a result, when you actually were in the city, all their telephone poles are not made out of wood; they're actually made out of iron. Wow, that's going to look. And good. literally going five minutes outside of that city, because I visited my brother there like ten years ago. And we literally went out. He was showing me around the town. It's like, oh, yeah, this is great. Um, don't go down to the beach at 5 o'clock in the afternoon because that's when the crocodiles come in. <laughs> um, so, so literally, we actually saw them. Um, that's uncomfortable. And so you drove five minutes outside of the city, and it went from roads to dirt. You could be in the opening, that opening shot when the war rig's going towards Gastown. Yeah. It yeah. looked like that. Field trip. Wow. I, you know, which, which is why it was so unfortunate that when they actually shot that stuff, they had to go to mm -hmm. Namibia? Yeah, Namibia, yeah, because um, where they filmed is not far. I could actually go there in a day to the original shooting areas. I think wow. we, we need to do a field trip, so we're looking into this, Ian. Um, I want to go back before we lose this thread about Charlize. I wonder yeah. if... Um, I was, I, while we've been talking, I've been sort of trying to piece this together and think about this, but if, if the tribe that she comes from is Australian and she speaks it with an American accent, I wonder if the idea is that this character has always been an outcast from birth and where she comes from, and then that, that, that sort of motivates her character as an idiosyncratic, individualistic sort of warrior in this. It, it gives her the tools, uh, equips her with the tools to fight on her own when she gets to the Citadel. Um, it could be a cool character choice if that's the case. Mm -hmm. I think it would be. I think it's probably more accurate to say that because she was kidnapped as a child, uh, right. which suggests in turn that Joe knew about uh, the Vulvalini in the Green Place, mm -hmm. that he had some knowledge of them. She was taken and her accent is actually what she's adopted in the Citadel. You think uh, so? Well, why wouldn't yeah, she adopt Because, in a, because in a, it's, it's like um, Native Australians who go over to America. Some of us, when we go over, will wind up adopting that accent to a certain yeah. extent. Oh, well, without, without a doubt. But it's not like the rest of the hmm. Citadel speaks with an American accent. No, but you notice that Joe does. I don't notice any of these oh. things. I have to be entirely candid with you. Joe does. And Joe is, the guy who plays Joe is, um, he has a great connection to the original film, if you yeah. remember what that is. Okay. Yeah, he's Joe, right. Yeah, he's Joe, right. Yeah. yeah. Noted Shakespearean Australian actor. So... So he plays it with this great sort of no, almost nondescript sort of accent. Although, although I do and not remember, I do not remember um, his accent from Mad Max. Was he? Did he start with? Oh, he was. As no, he was, he was always. He he was like the classic villain of the piece. It's like, yeah. oh, you know, don't don't you know don't bother the police. We'll come and get them later, sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, okay. Right. He's one of those guys. He's Got very. He, he's what's. He's what makes that movie stand out a bit because he's not just like this thuggish villain. He's oh, like absolutely. He's, he's super kind of complex. Cultured. Alan Rickman so. and, and Die Hard. Yeah, he's super complex. Yeah, I, I wonder. I wonder why we haven't talked. I mean, I, I, I know why I haven't. I don't. I don't catch these things. Um, I don't mm. clock accents very well. But um, this sounds. This feels like a deep reservoir of content. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it is. I think when you think about it, when you when you look at the way they're structuring cultures in Fury Road, particularly like their little Russian enclave, uh, mm -hmm. because of what the comics suggest, that they, the comic live the, they, they live in the uh, burnout city of Sydney. So that's where all their vehicles and stuff are stored. They were all in the car, car parking lots and all that sort of stuff. Ah. Um, 
and that to me sort of just that reminds me of like sort of like wasteland Russia is now like you know those yeah. little pockets of society right and they just they're just scavenging off what they can of of, of industry um, and then to think that um, and um, see to me pockets of pockets of people tribes they kind of exist out here as is. I mean, all of our cities here in Australia are pretty much coastal, with the exception of one. Mm. There's one city right in the heart of the desert, and that's about it. There's this idea, I mean, writing, obviously, of writing what you know, and I, and I think a lot of times um, when I read books or stories set in areas I know, mm. it feels really like exploiting the territory for the purpose of the story. If it's done well, it feels inextricable um, yeah. and inevitable. And I think that a lot of the things that we've learned from doing this podcast are the things that work so well for the Mad Max plotline and story Absolutely. are just things that happen in real life in Australia that that's new to me. And so I'm, I'm finding them as story points and coming to them as narrative devices when really he's just pulling from things he knows that already exist and, and even very beneficial to us and sort of extricating what story from what's, oh, that's just actually Australian mm. car slang. Yeah, very much. I mean, uh, I've seen a few great theories on Reddit that um, someone have, some people have actually sat down and done maps based on what the dialogue is in Fury Road and say, well, okay, if this is in Australia, where's this? Oh, wow. So we know, we know for example, like the Wall of Mountains. Um, if Mad Max was set in Victoria, which is a southern state in the first film, um, then there is a mountain range in Victoria which would correspond. Got it. Wow. And then the great northern tribe in Road Warrior is the Gold Coast, right. which is literally an hour south of me, which mm -hmm. is a coastal, some people would call it, uh, it's actually called Surfer's Paradise um, yeah. a lot. Yeah. So it's like, oh, yeah, of course, the great northern land where you go and all the beaches and stuff are. You know, yeah. and, uh, and so on and so forth. And you can basically, so this person plotted out um, what they thought relative distance-wise things would be. So, um, and it fits. So, yeah, you could, you could make that argument if you wanted to. Well, that, that sort of takes me back to, um, I'd like to, uh, it's sort of a natural uh, segue back to car, 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 car culture. Car culture. <laughs> Sorry, I'm drunk. Um, car culture. <laughs> no, we won't. Um, car culture in Australia and, and mm. why the films are the way they are. I mean, it seems like because of, you know, the, the distances and great distances between mm. things, and in between cities in Australia, that the transportation oh, yes. is a big deal. Um, Absolutely. I, I love you, um, you know, opening it on that you saw it in a, in a drive-in uh, theater, <laughs> which, which we have, you know, one or two in our area here, but, but they're not, you know, the old school. I mean, you, you, know, you tune in the, the audio on your, on your AM radio now, but, um, but it seems like that's a huge part of, of Australia in the first place. And you see that in... In every movie, you know, except for once again, sort of Beyond Thunderdome, it's not really, you know, it's not, it's not focused on in that, but pretty much every other film, it's the fetish's cars. Yeah, it's very strong. Um, it's very strong for, for those reasons, really. You have those great distances. There's a tradition if you're going on vacation out here. Um, if you live in Sydney, you get in the car and you go north on the highways to wherever you're going, to like the beaches and such. Um, people do retirees get in their caravans mm -hmm. and go around the entire length of the country on the roads. Wow. So there's this great car road association. 
And I remember reading early on when Miller made the first Mad Max because he used to work in an emergency room. Right. So what he'd see coming in on a regular basis were people in horror car smashes. Because our highways were still being upgraded in the 1970s, there'd be these long stretches of nothing. And then you'd come up over a rise or around a corner and bang. Right. Straight into a car smash. We have a campaign here every year to cut the number of deaths on the highways during the holiday periods. Yeah, yeah, this is the whole cultural thing. Before you say this, I want to, um, this is uh, apropos of nothing, but it just reminded me. I was just in Wyoming, um, and I, I stumbled into an abandoned um, drive, drive-in theater, and so I pulled off the road to go look at it, and it was a potato-themed drive-in um, theater, and it had a, a pickup truck in the front with two potato sculptures in the driver's seat and the passenger seat. <laughs> and then on the entryway into the drive-in was a little booth, like a ticket taker, and it was a potato carved to shape, carved into the shape of Winnie the Pooh, and then the, the sign said Pooh Tater, and I laughed probably for four days. Yes, yeah. that's the oh, funniest thing in the world. Okay, so sorry, I just had to say that. And, and, and As we would say, say, only in America. It was yeah. the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Well, someone like devoted so much time to Pootater. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll never be able to unhear Pootater. Pootater. It's a Pootater. Uh, trust Although, me, that, that sounds know, about up there with the sort of people I've seen out here who dedicatedly collect nothing but car number plates and uh, two-minute displays. Yeah. Or collect beer cans from all around the world. Hey, so, you know, I guess everybody's got to have a hobby. Um, you know, it's yeah. funny you say, you say only in America, but I think one of the the reasons uh, this could me as we were talking about, you know, driving and driving, you know, huge stretches. I think one of the reasons probably that Mad Max, the, the franchise, resonated immediately in the United States was that we have a similar. I mean, Australia, uh, roughly, and you can call me on this if you want, is about this is about the same size as um, the United States or North America, right? I mean, it is a or is it, is, it, is it way bigger? Uh, we're pretty much way bigger. Uh, there's okay. a great graphic you can find that uh, if you took the surface area of Australia, mm-hmm. it's actually the circumference of the moon. What? Holy shit. Yes. Oh. We, are, we are an island continent. Well, yeah. we listen, just, let's not make it We really are like, just an island. Let's say we're the same size. Let's just agree that we're all the same size, and it doesn't matter. But I know historically, um, car culture, you know, <laughs> car culture has been a, you know, a big deal in the United States. Um, Pretty much, maybe only until recently, um, because we do have vast stretches that if you know if you drive from one end to the other, it's not like driving from one you know end of you know France to the other or Ireland to the other. You can do that in a couple of hours, um, but 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 cars are a big deal here, and um, you know up until you know recently, I think we had the, we had the same kind of fetish with our cars. Mm. Well, they symbolize independence, first of all, for characters. It's, it's you can go wherever you want. You have the ability to move or to leave. And also, it's one of those things that's just not, it's not just a symbol of independence. It's a symbol of character and personality because the cars reflect the people who drive them. And to the 10th degree in Mad Max, I mean, the, the, the set design and the, 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 the car automobile design of these movies is so specific. And that's not one of the things I've liked the most about going through this movie again, is having the time to look at each individual car design and trying to backtrack what it says about the character who drives it and what that means. 
because yeah, I think that, that is so, so true. I mean, even in Los Angeles, if you see a guy, I don't want to say driving a smart car, you go, oh, I'll make certain assumptions about that person. Sure. Or, or, or you can make those assumptions if you'd like. like. <laughs> especially if the smart car has a Furiosa decal on the side of it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But you know what I mean? Like, even in Los Angeles, I, I drive a car that is uh, mostly populated by young guys and older women. That's my the car I drive. So I feel like that is a... Um, a situation where we make those assumptions and they have just utilized that that uh, almost subliminal or um you know understated thing that we do we always make those assumptions um and i and i wonder if that that, that was a, a large part of the, the brainstorming process for the development of the film is saying let's find the characters to the cars or let's vice versa mm-hmm. i think it's also uh, a reflection of the landscape at the same time Oh, because when you're dealing with that particular landscape that's so vast and broad, and particularly the one of Fury Road, where it's so flat a lot of the time, you're sort of looking more, okay, what vehicles are are, are going to get across these distances easily? Right. Uh, what vehicles are going to survive these distances with any sort of degree of comfort? Right. And um, sure, they're obviously over-exaggerated. You don't get a vehicle like Big Gigger Horse that Joe drives. Yeah. And sort of go, well, yeah, that's my pleasure vehicle that I'm going out in the weekends for. <laughs> um, you know, that's 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 my that's my Sunday car. Yeah, um, and I was hoping that that was, that was a real thing, thing in Australia. We do have vehicles like that, uh, like that out here, to be honest. I mean, we we're, we do the monster truck thing. I found out that the um, the Giga Horse because um, it is uh, it is actually a monster truck, and uh, I found out that. They just took the chassis off that, and now that that truck is actually back working the monster truck circuit here in Australia. Wow. We, we so you can actually go find it. This is becoming a field trip episode, Ian. You're really convincing us <laughs> to come do this. Oh, oh, I have a question. The Mad Max, Mad Max Museum in New South Wales. You did not mention Wait, that. There's a there's a Mad Max Museum. Ian, stop yeah. it. What, what city is okay. it in? So this is actually near the city of Broken Hill, where the first Mad Max film was filmed. How big is it? Have you been? It's not huge. No, I'm planning to go with the group. Um, last year, I actually did a Mad Max cosplay with a bunch of friends. Excellent. Will you take pictures if you go to the museum and will you send them to us and we can tweet them out? Oh, you can actually go to their Facebook page. Oh, done. Sold. No, not, not, not as much fun as you sending us pictures, but okay. <laughs> yeah. You want to dress well, up for us and take pictures and you can be our, our on-the-ground correspondent doing some recon for us. Yes, I'll be, I'll be keeping you groundbreaking up to the minute you've <laughs> been in the garage for 30 years. <laughs> yeah. That's revolutionary. Thank I you. have a question for you, Ian. Um, yeah, sure. uh, so we talk a lot about uh, pragmatism versus spectacle in the Mad Max universe, especially in Fury Road. And what you were just saying sort of reminded me of that. Is someone who lives in Australia and sort of has been around the car culture a little bit with your, you said your brother works in building cars? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you watch Mad Max Fury Road, how much of that do you think is strictly pragmatic decision-making and how much do you think is like, oh, this is some badass cool shit, we should put it in a movie? I think it's a little bit of, I think it's a little bit of both. It's like saying, well, all right, um, for example, if you have a, like, a crash between vehicles, it's like, okay, well, there's the, there's the real-world physics of how one vehicle would crash into another, but then if you dial it up to 11, how cool is that going to look on screen? Right. right. And what about and the designs, do you think? I think the designs complement that as well because uh, you, you guys were talking uh, when you were watching a particular four minutes about 
the practicality of the vehicles when the buzzards are chasing the war rig and how it's this escalation of evolution. Mm-hmm. So one thing doesn't work, you use the next thing. If the next thing doesn't work, you use the next thing after that. And I think that's... Um, I think that's I think that dovetails nicely into the pragmatism side of things because mm. as much as you because it because it's as much world building as it is anything else, you have to consider when you when you when you're looking at things on screen. Yes, the, the landscape is beautiful, it's lush, it's got all those beautiful enriched colours and all that all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, it's desert. Mm. So what are you going to be looking at on screen? You're going to be looking at these vehicles. So they have to be visually interesting for yeah. you to be to be watching them in the first place. There's got to be something about them that goes, well, that's just weird. That's just funky. What is what is going on there? So and just for the um, record, Ian, you, you, you thought the evolution comment was smart, smart or do you think it was smart? <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just want <laughs> listeners to hear. I thought it was actually quite smart. Okay, um, so just, just was, listeners, yeah. Ian just said that we said a smart thing, thing and I feel like that's the best. best. I feel really good about that. I think we can walk away from today at least with that. I, I really feel okay. so, so that's to lead into my next question, question which is, uh, what, what else have we fucked up that <laughs> <laughs> we should talk about? Because I know, listen, as someone who understands the Mad Max universe, who lives in Australia, who lives in the car world, you are the sort of like the, tri- the trifecta of, of the guy who knows all the shit we're fucking up because we, we don't get the slang, we don't get the territory, we don't get the background. We know we know jack shit about cars, obviously. Right, that's pretty clear. Yeah, well, it just works for me that whenever whenever I listen to the podcast and you know you make your comments that I find obviously wrong and offensive, uh, I'll just I'll write my answers and then I'll just log off by and just think to myself, bloody Americans. <laughs> that is the correct oh, response. Yeah, yeah, there's gotta be something nice about it. It's like watching a baby try to walk for the first time. Like, oh, it's so sweet. Look how much they fall down. But maybe they'll get there eventually. Yeah. Well, one day, one day you'll get baby's first interceptor. You'll be fine. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> um, well, that's the funny thing. I actually do know someone here in my home city that has one. An interceptor? An interceptor? Mm-hmm. The, the last, last of the interceptors? interceptors? Wow. Why aren't you sending us pictures of things, man? What are you doing? This is, oh, well, I've unfortunately had to do this thing where I've had to be turning my own uh, rental into the wasteland and I'm moving and I'm busy right. doing things right. and signing papers and spending money that I don't have to do these things. And so I've been trying to, I was in the process of organizing a photo shoot with my cosplay group when all, when the whole moving thing came up and it was like, okay, that's all on the back burner. I've got to concentrate yeah. on this thing now. So, well, your priorities are all fucked up. Here. Here. <laughs> I know. I just sort of, I just should have found a rusted out shell of a car, Thank you. moved all my junk into it and gone. Yeah, yeah do it right, man. Do, do, well, I, I say, I mean, if we if we do what we're intending to do, which is make this podcast last forever, forever um, you'll, you'll have plenty of time to send us stuff. stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah, well, no, that's what I'll actually do. Um, you know, when when when, I, when I'm a little more settled, I'll actually go and find a rusted car, uh, yeah. put all my stuff into it, and I'll travel around Australia, and I'll just do, you know, I'll just find Wi-Fi spots that you can find me on Skype, and just go, hi. What are you doing? Where are you today, Anne? I have no idea. It's all <laughs> um, It's a road. The wasteland. Oh, there are things coming at me. Great. You know what you should do, Ian, too, if it ever strikes your fancy, uh, if you're all somewhere and you listen to the podcast, or if you're somewhere that's really cool, just do an audio file for us on your phone and we can just throw it in the podcast. 
Be like, like, hey, hey, hey jerks, jerks. <laughs> you, you got, got this way wrong. wrong. You're, You're just making racial or sexual innuendo. It's not there. Or you misunderstood the in Americans. What the hell's wrong with you? Yeah, it's what we do. It's what we do, man. Apparently, if our current political system is any sort of show of that. Here's a question for you. I know that... We've, we've talked, talked about this before. One of the ways we thought we might extend the life of this podcast is to occasionally talk about films that were obviously influenced by George Miller and the, you know, the Mad Max uh, world, the Mad Max anthology. Um, how how big did, was uh, was the explosion after after the first Mad Max, or at least after Road Warrior, which I think was more of a critical success? And then the first film, how, how, did, did you see a lot of copycat films? I mean, you talk about Drive-In. I mean, oh, yeah. Dead End Drive-In is, is sort, sort of a classic in, in my book. Um, but, I mean, were there all of a sudden all of these homegrown Australian, you know, post-apocalypse car films? Yeah, they're absolutely, um, to use an exp- Australian expression, gobloads of them. <laughs> absolutely gobloads. It was amazing how many came out. If, if you were to believe what you read... Um, Basically, Mad uh, Road Warrior is the uh, the progenitor of what they call the post-apocalypse song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there was there were kind of you know sort of like oh here's the end of the world sort of films you know before this, but because Road Warrior was so distinctive in the way it presented the end of the world, um, there were just rip-offs everywhere. You can actually you can literally go find lists of films. Um, there are Italian films, there are American films, there are films that are start off as a science fiction film, but then become a Mad Max film. Um, there's a Patrick Swayze film. Yes. It's post-apocalypse. Uh, um, so you're Dirty Dancing. Really? <laughs> you know it's a lot because no one knew that was the secret subject. Is, it, was that, dancing. is, is that, that real steel or something? Some uh, steel? Is, um, I, I can't. I, 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 I steel, steel something. something. Steel, steel Dawn. Steel Dawn. Yep. Yeah, um, and he's like, he's, but this, but that's one where there's no vehicles, but it's right. without water. So. Uh, right. right. Well, well, that's and Waterworld is clearly sort of, hey, we're going to do Mad Max, but we're going to do the opposite. Very much so. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's lots of them. There's like even a there's like even a really really bad 3D film when the 3D was trying to take off in the 80s called what is it Metal Storm, Metal Storm. the Destruction of Jared Sin. That, that is exactly right. I was I was going to bring that up. I actually saw that in 3D in the theaters when I was in high school because I was clearly thirsting for more Mad Max movies. Yeah, it's terrible by the way. It's hilarious because. The title character of Jared Sin actually gets away at the end of the film, so he doesn't. He is not destructed. So, so it's a lie. I feel cheated. There is a beautiful uh, a film came out this year. I believe it's a Canadian film um, that is a uh, a love letter to all those post-apocalyptic action films that I loved from the eighties called Turbo Kid. And if you haven't seen it, is uh, is delightful. I've heard of it. Yeah. So it is uh, a good time. Yeah, but you know, you, yeah, you literally, you literally got everything in the eighties thanks to to Road Warrior. There, love, it's just, it's literally a genre unto itself. I so. love watching knockoffs of, of things that I really think are really good because it reminds you something that feels just creative and slapdash, and you don't know why it's good. And you watch it, and you see knockoffs, and it helps to clarify why the original is good. Or if the knockoff is better, it helps to clarify why the knockoff might be better because. 
you know, you know it, it, George Miller puts his hugely individualistic, idiosyncratic um, ideas in the film, and it's loaded with weirdness, but it's, but it's always functional weirdness. weirdness. And, and a lot, it's, it's very hard to do. I think a lot of movies put shit in that's weird for the sake of being weird. It's like eating candy because when, it, when it's, it's done, you have this hollow feeling in your stomach. stomach. Like, that, that was really cool, but I, when I think about it, it does not reward me. It just doesn't make you want to start a podcast. It doesn't make you just talk about that one film. Exactly. But watching the George Miller versions of things, John Thunderdome possibly accepted, you think this is this is oddities that's not for the sake of oddity. It's functional oddities. And so many of the knockoffs seem to fail in that one specific realm. Well, they do. I think it's because they're not drawing upon their own, own culture to try, rather than to be inspired by. They're just going. We'll just re we'll try and replicate what made that successful. It's like the current reboot system in Hollywood. Yeah. So, like, you have all these films that are re being rebooted or continued. Um, I won't mention that film that you try not to mention so much. <laughs> don't get me started. You know yeah, I mean. Good so job. Good job. I'm, I'm trying to get you started. That's good job. Good job. Um, <laughs> but that's a prime example of what I'm talking about is where they've gone here's this thing that's been in wildly inanely successful and we'll try and replicate it without realising what was good about it well not only that but what was uniquely good about it because it was it's the uniqueness that drew people to it in the first place it's not just that it's this it's, it's that Mm -hmm. I think George, George Lucas, Lucas early on, and in sort of, sort of mid-70s, mid American Graffiti George Lucas, and early George Miller, their, their priority always seems to be cohesive, true storytelling. What is honest, the story and the characters. And people, and all this other stuff is super dope shit on top of it. You have the explosions, the laser beams, the lightsabers. And, and the cars, and, and then when, when people replicate it, they misunderstand what's good, good about the first one. Like what's good is, is that it's a story first and foremost. And, and when you prioritize storytelling and cohesive individualism in terms of what you're saying, then it becomes good and people respond to it. And that's the one thing you can't fake. And I'm, I'm really tired of Hollywood misunderstanding what's good about it. it. You know, there's this, I mean, I don't want to say great, but James Gunn wrote an article after Guardians of the Galaxy. He's like, people have really misunderstood what's good about about Deadpool. Deadpool. He, he said it's not, not you know, because it's, 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 it's now there's a lot of R-rated, sassy action heroes movies, movies coming out, or superhero movies, movies coming out, and, and that's not why people liked it. People liked it because it was original and it was a, as a new story. Yes. They didn't like the trapping. So people confuse the icing for the cake all the time. And I think that's that's the knockoffs and that's the, the movie that shall not be named. Um, they just misunderstood what is good about things. And it's so simple and so obvious and yet so hard to do. Telling a good cohesive story is fucking hard. And, and people, people misunderstand, misunderstand that, I think. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's actually a little bit of both because I think in a lot of ways telling a, simple, uh, telling a story is actually simple. If you break it right down, and people have said a lot of times Fury Road is just like a two-and-a-half-hour car chase, that's actually true. Sure. That is absolutely true. It's a simple story that's simply told, but the difference is, is that they've sat back and thought about the world that this simple story takes place in. Yeah. yeah, that's all yeah. they've done. They've just simply sat down and thought about the world. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's like Philip K. Dick model of storytelling. He always said that I don't want to tell a good sci-fi story. Mm -hmm. I want to think of a good sci-fi premise, and I want to imagine the world in which that what if is true, and then I want to tell a story that would be good in that world if that world already existed. So it's a one layer up from most sci-fi, which made him so transcendent and so good, is that he thought through things a little farther. And it's the same thing with. 
Frank Herbert in June. Great. Now, that's a really straightforward story, but because he sat down and took the time to think about the world of Arrakis and built a working ecosystem, that works from literally the ground up, it makes it fascinating and evolving. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think we, we get, get caught, caught up um, in, in storytelling in, in Hollywood in particular. I think we get caught up in plot and forget to build the world uh, that, 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 that plot would fit into. I'd probably argue more, more accurately that it's exposition. Yeah. yeah. You're being told what's going on by talking heads on the screen. This thing is happening over here. Can you see this thing that's happening over here? Yes, I can. Let's go and look at this thing over here together so we can both comment on it. <laughs> All right. No, show, don't tell. Exactly. Well, well let, let me ask you a question on, on those lines. Are, are there things in Mad Max Fury Road that stick out to you as things that don't work? I know we've been trying hard to really push on some elements of the film that are moments at least. We haven't found any huge structural issues that bug us. Um, but in terms of moments, are the things that are really stuck in your crawl after multiple watches? Um, a couple of things. It's ironic you should mention that. The, the last little snippet I was actually just watching, which is following on from where you guys last picked off. Um, then there's a bit where Max is going back and reattaching the gas line mm-hmm. on the rig mm-hmm. as they're heading into the canyons. Spoiler alert, this... we really fucked that up in our version of it. We don't know what that thing is called. Anyway, go on. Um... But um, no, he, he's doing it, and there's this really – he does it in such a really obvious way. It's like – I'm pretty sure it's a stunt guy who's doing it, but it's like grab the line, hold the line, look at the line. It's like, look at me. I am holding the line, and now I am very stage-obviously plugging this back into the tanker. And it's like, no, just plug it back into the tanker, fool. We don't need you to you know, make your experience – Act out of it. Your criticism of that moment feels a lot more uh, thought through and smart than our criticism, which was like, what is that tube he's connecting to that big metal sphere? What's happening with that tube? That was a good six minutes of that episode. I'll be watching it with basic ears. I'm so embarrassed. Ian, you make me feel so embarrassed about my lack of car knowledge. And I'm so happy that we have you. I built you up. I built you up earlier on. Now I've torn you down again. Oh, you're like the U.S. Marine system. I feel like we're going to boot camp. Ian's having a boot camp. I've got the boots for it, too. I would like to say that, you know, that Fury Road was this huge success in America. And I think to a certain extent it was, but it still wasn't. You know, you know that, that, that big blockbuster, blockbuster success, success, which you know I'm I'm, I'm totally, totally fine with. with. But, but what was the what was the response in you know based on you know your, your just sort of your appreciation of that? What was the response in Australia, Australia of, uh, of, of of bringing it back after all these years? You know, I mean, bringing George Miller back was a stroke of genius, obviously. It would have been a completely different movie otherwise. But how how was it received at home? It was kind of almost like a novelty movie. In a certain respect, um, there was a very they, they did this big publicity thing like the week it opened. Uh, they had like the entire flotilla of most of the fleet of cars drive down a, a highway in Sydney down to the Sydney Opera House. Oh, I'm so, so jealous. jealous! So cool. Did you go there? Then, uh, no, I couldn't go. I, I didn't even know it was happening until it actually happened. And people just sort of had to wander up and sort of go, oh, what's this going on? Yeah. That, was a, that, was, that was a classic moment, which I've done many times as, uh, you know, as a dumb American. I'm like, hey, you're in Brisbane. The city is like right next door, right? Yeah, I can just talk to it. No, it's a good, well, it's an hour by plane, so that's like a while. 
Yeah. yeah. So, um, I think it's about six hours by car or something, but or more. Um, but no, so it literally happened, and you was kind of went, oh, and people were like, oh, this is really interesting. This is a Mad Max film. That's all they sort of said. It was sort of like just sort of written off as that. And then it didn't open to the best box office, as I recall out here, at all. Um, and it was sort of like, oh, yes, this is a nice nostalgia trip. And it wasn't until the award season started kicking off that people suddenly went, oh, this is something seriously to be, content- uh, to be considered. Interesting. Um, and the film industry out here isn't that big to begin with. We don't make a lot of films locally right. per year. Right. Um, and so Fury Road literally just walked in and just went, oh, you have all these awards on offer? Yoink. Thanks very much. Right. Just literally, <laughs> literally scooped the pool of like nearly every major award in the Australian film industry awards. Well, good. I feel, I feel somewhat justified by that response. <laughs> I have a love-hate relationship with yeah. award season stuff, um, but the, the amount of books that get sold after a book wins a Pulitzer is insane, and hearing that something that's sort of, you know, seemingly meaningless as, as Oscar nominations for special effects and all that kind of stuff has real-world effects about making people... Think, oh, oh, this movie's been vetted by some academy somewhere, and they think it's good. If that gets people out to see it, then that's pretty great. great. Not, not, not that every movie that gets nominated for things is good, but sometimes. But, yeah, no, I think it was very much a case that um, Australians, I think, were kind of indifferent in, in a lot of respects to Fury Road. It's not to say that we've moved on as a car culture. I think certainly in some respects we have. With infrastructure is better... Um, obviously cars are better. We don't obviously all drive giant V8 rigs all over Australia as much as I would really like that we could. Um, but, um, but yeah, it was kind of met with this indifference to a certain extent. Uh, I mean, I showed it to friends and I was madly enthusiastic about it. And they sat and watched and went, oh, well, that's okay. Can we watch a Marvel film now? And I just went, all right. Why am I friends with you people? Yeah, I yeah, need to actually stick you in a box somewhere and bury you. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah that, that sounds about like uh, 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 many uh, interactions I had as well. Are there, are there, um, are there uh, other Australian slang moments coming up that you want to preface for so I don't embarrass myself? Oh, well, I did have a look into Schlanger. Oh, that's yes! Not, that's not strictly Australian, so... But yeah. it's still with a great Australian accent, and Abby Lee's Australian, so that helped. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it does mean yeah. cock, it means dick, right? Oh, she, yeah. She, she just, just got a big German penis, yeah. yes. Big giant German penis. Yeah. Um, yeah. She just got hired uh, for another film, I, can't, I don't remember what it was, but I mean, literally when they were talking about the casting announcement, they said one of the women, uh, one of the wives from Mad Max, um, Abby Lee uh, was, was hired. Um, it's, it's up in the air as to whether she will say Schlanger in, in this. No. Like they've definitely referenced the, that, that line in particular. It's such a delicious line. Like the way she says it sticks in your head so hard. Yeah, she, she gets into it. And Schmag, we think, is still Schmagma. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Well, when you think about it, it's a, it's, it starts off, it started off as a medical term. And what is George Miller if not a doctor? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. I just think it's still confusing well, to me. Well, well, see, we have a we have a different cultural influence for it because um, Australia, Australian TV culture was primarily influenced by British TV culture sure. for a lot of for for many decades. So we got exposed to a comedy called Red Dwarf. Okay. Oh yes, yes. yes. And so we just got smeared. Yeah. You know. So that's where I learned it from. I had no idea what it meant until later, and I went. Oh my God, that's the filthiest show on television. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so, but well, on, um, I'm trying on, to think. Um, actually, if you want a good example of good Australian accents in that film, um, The Organic Mechanic. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah he is definitely. He's, yeah. he's a he's a good Australian actor, and yeah, he's like right Yeah. Uh, yeah. And awesome. just that way he talks, a lot of that is just really good. Um, I'm just trying to think of specific moments. Or well, I'm, sure, I'm sure you'll let us know. We'll be guaranteed to just we, we will fuck it up. Um, and so <laughs> when we get there, I will uh, reference you and say, "Hey, tell me why I fucked this up." Right. I'll just say you're all dirty slangers. Yeah. And and on the on on the note on on the the note of the deliciousness of smag and slanger. USA. USA. Um, um, we're gonna. Oh, yeah, we're gonna have to. Yeah, that's all right. right. Yeah, because we're so sophisticated. All <laughs> right. Um, we're gonna. We're gonna have to. We're, we're at time, time, so we're gonna have to wrap this up. But I would, I would like, like to thank you for waking up early and, and spending spending your morning with us. Ah, well, it's one of the one of the more pleasurable ways I can think of doing so, gentlemen. Oh, you're a boss. Ian Tavener is a boss. Are you on Twitter? That's my next. That's my next Facebook update. Thank you. My next status. I am a boss. So says you are awaited the podcast. Do you want? Is there anything you'd like to to promote, or can can people find you on if they have? Um, you, know, you know, intense, intense Mad Max questions or want, or, want, or want to get into discussions with you, is there a place they can find you online? Uh, typically, I'm just on Facebook. I don't have a real social media presence as such. But yeah, if you look my name up on Facebook, feel free to come and abuse me. I'm probably going to regret saying that as I actually have now just said that. Um, <laughs> too late. Too late. Don't take back. Damn it. Don't take back. Don't cutting out. We don't edit anything because we're lazy. God damn it. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, that, that's pretty much it. Um, I do make small videos on YouTube. I studied film in university, um, and I've always wanted to get back to that. So I just I keep my hand in. I film in-game videos. Um, I've done. I'm working on a Mad Max video game video. Great. Um, do, you, do you have a YouTube channel that people can look for? Yes, uh, my handle is Solace67. S O L A S six seven. Perfect. Look at me there. There's all sorts of strange, weird little videos there so everyone, that I've done. Everyone check videos. out Ian Tavener, uh, Soul 67. Soul S O L A S 67. And we'll be hearing more from you, Ian. Please continue to let us know where we cock it up. And uh, if you have any good videos or pictures, send it to us. Yeah, also, if you, if you ever go to the, uh, the Brisbane Koala Sanctuary, which as an Australian you probably will never go there, there is. Okay, well, if, you, if you'd like to do a little pilgrimage, there is a photo of me holding a koala. Yeah, I know. I, I, I only bring that up because you're in Brisbane. I really don't know anybody else in Brisbane these days. That's all right. Well, you can go one better and you go one hour north of here to the Steve Irwin one. Right. Uh, crocodile World, or whatever maybe, it's called. Maybe Crocky Dingo. Crocky Dingo. Oh, look at that. Oh, I've got my finger up. It's a kalaka. I'm sure it's a female. I'm like, no, don't do that. It's a crocodile. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure a crocodile does not appreciate that being done to it. That's so. terrifying. Well, well on Steve Irwin and Crocky Dingo, my name is Yuri Lowenthal. My name is Travis Nintel. Ian, what's your name? My name is Ian Taylor. And you are awaited. Awaited.